Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to Taking Control of Your Financial Life podcast. Providing the simple answers to the complex questions asked about your financial future. Let's get you the answers you need about retirement, investing, asset planning, and the current market. Here's your host, Julian Rubenstein. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Taking Control of Your Financial Life. My name is Julian Rubenstein, and I'm the host of this podcast. I'm also the president of American Asset Management, a registered investment advisor located in Boca Raton, Florida. I'm very excited about today's show as we are fortunate to have Anna Cristina Maldonado, a mediator and arbitrator with Upchurch, Watson, White, and Max as our guest today. So please join me in welcoming Anna Cristina to the podcast. Hello, Anna Cristina. Hi, Julian. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you very much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to join us today. Um, I'm really excited about sharing your knowledge and experiences from your career in law because I think it's different than a lot of the other attorneys we've had on the show. So... <laughs> With that said, why don't you tell our audience and listeners about yourself and your practice? Sure. I have to laugh when you say different from other lawyers, because in some ways, my career is a little bit backwards. I had a pre-law life. I was a program manager up in Washington, D.C. And at some point, I signed up and did a master's in conflict resolution where I met a bunch of attorneys. And it was like AA for lawyers. It was all of these lawyers who were there in practice 20, 25 years. And they were sort of looking around for a different way to resolve cases and disputes than litigating and fighting it out in front of a jury and the judge. And they had come to this master's program to then become mediators. So I, I knew about dispute resolution and alternative dispute resolution before going to law school. And after going to law school, just ended up starting my law career there. So it's the bulk of what I've done. There are many mediators who come to law after years as an attorney. I did it a little bit backwards, but I feel like, you know, I signed up for peer counseling in sixth grade. I'm, I'm that person who loves to help people <laughs> work out their issues. And so uh, it suits me. It suits me. It's just people who are having trouble with whatever they're dealing with and figuring out a way to move forward and get out of it. That's very interesting. And you, and you kind of answered a lot of my questions. So it, you were really drawn to this type of law very early on. Yes. Yes. To the point where actually for the last five years, I've even been teaching other people to become mediators and get certified and things of that sort because... There's no shortage of work. There's there's out there. There's unfortunately conflict is just part of daily life. <laughs> and in Florida, a lot of it ends up in the courts. But, you know, there, there's only I don't know if you know this. There's only 1500 judges in the state of Florida. Wow. And there are take a guess. If you were to guess how many new cases there were in, in a year in Florida, just take a wild number. 15,000. For all different kinds of cases. Yeah. I, don't, I just picked a number. <laughs> Much higher. Add a zero at least. I had a couple zeros. Yes, it's three million new oh cases every year. So how do um, how do fifteen hundred judges handle that? That's exactly the point. More than three quarters of those cases are going to settle somewhere along the lines. 
And the case, the number of cases that actually go to a jury trial is less than half of a percent. So um, the other quarter, roughly quarter or so, ends up in front of a judge for what's called the bench trial, right? Where the judge is the person who's making the final decision, like family cases are, are not jury trials. Um, can you imagine uh, gentlemen and ladies of the jury, or you know, should these people get divorced? <laughs> it's not going to work out, right? Um, so it is a judge who hears those kinds of cases. But so much of it ends up in, in what they call the the alternative dispute resolution realm being negotiated, being dismissed, being settled, and then the case gets dropped, being settled, and then the case gets filed like a done deal, right? So so that's the part of the law where I work. That's the part, that's the part where I exist. Got it. Um, now, it's not just um, family law, right? You mediate and arbitrate, lot, lots of different types of law, correct? Yes, yes. I started my practice doing family independency, and I did a lot of that actually through the courthouse. So I've dealt with a lot of people who have no lawyers for like the do-it-yourselfers. And then I joined the firm where I'm at. I've been with them for three years. It's um, one of the larger mediation outfits that is Florida-based. I think a lot of people know, for example, like maybe AAA or JAMS, if they're sort of in this world, there's the, you know, those are some of the national groups of mediators and arbitrators. Upchurch Watson is, is historically a Florida-based firm, but it is all over the state. And then after that, most people are solo, you know, neutrals. So I was a solo after I left the courthouse for a while. And then I joined this this larger firm, which, you know, and now after after March 2020, where everything went virtual, the practice changed completely. <laughs> and it, it, it makes for a, a statewide practice at this point in time, instead of just uh, based in Palm Beach, which is where I live, just like you. Uh, and what is the most, I don't use the word popular, but like what type of cases do you see the most? Is it fa- still family law? It is largely family law. I'd say that's still about half of my practice. I speak Spanish and Portuguese, so I get a variety of cases where the clients speak Spanish or Portuguese. So there's a bigger spread and it's, a, you know, construction disputes or, you know, a business dispute, things of that sort. Um, homeowners insurance, just sometimes helps to have somebody there who can sort of think in both languages, right? And because I have a lot of experience with people who are self-represented, I do get a lot of cases where, where at least one of the sides is a pro se litigant, a self-represented litigant in civil court as well. So it's, it's just really hard to navigate the legal system you know, speaking, you know, Spanish and Portuguese, like anybody who speaks perfect English would be forgiven for not understanding everything that a lawyer says, right? It's like its right. own it's its own technical languages. Maybe, you know, maybe financial planning has the same pitfall, right? Um, sometimes people look at you like, what did you just say? Can you put that in English? So, yes, a whole just those are some sort of practical specialties, I guess, uh, I would say that I have in terms of the area. I noticed you mentioned after COVID with the virtual, we've found that, that it's the world has really changed. People don't want to meet in person. Everybody wants to do everything via Zoom and telephone calls. Have you found the same thing? You know, yes. Um, not It hasn't completely eliminated the in-person work, but it pretty much close to did. Like, it's, it's not 100% virtual now that the requirements are lifting a little bit and there are arguments to be made for certain cases and certain situations for people to actually show up in person there's different pressures you know on the one hand i think people are very comfortable 
at home or in their home office and in their own space, often they have like ready access to information that might they might need to look up, right? But then there's sort of that line where people are too comfortable sometimes. Um, so there's a risk of people taking it not not formally, you know? And so that, that can be a hazard sometimes. But on the whole, like it's just, it's been very effective. And I think that's one of the reasons that people like it so much because they can get a lot more done and not sacrifice a lot of the effectiveness for it. If it wasn't right. working, people would go back, I think. Yes, I agree. I think for, look, for, certainly for the employees, we all, it's great. I just think for the younger people, um, I think it's bad because I think that they're not building any, you know, any capital at the job. They're just becoming yeah. a number on a piece of paper. Yes, I do not disagree with that. That's, that's very true. I and think, you know, one of the things that the, in the law and in, in the courts that they kept was what they call the uniform motion calendar, these little five to 10 minute motions that, that you just, you sit there for hours just for five minutes in front of the judge. Um, and they made those all virtual. And I think that there was just a lot of informal learning that used to go on there. I understand the efficiency gained by keeping it that way, but I also understand what you're saying in terms of what gets lost. Absolutely. I mean, in fact, I read an article, so many young people have never ever gone to an office, right? They graduated during the pandemic, went right to virtual work. They've never been in an office. They don't even know what it's like. Yeah. Yeah. It's really yes. They never had somebody steal their sandwich out of the refrigerator. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> How do you handle that? No. <laughs> oh. It's the big and the small, right? You know, the, right, they also right. never had somebody take them aside and say, hey, you're doing great. Let's talk about your career that way, you know? Correct. Right. That's, that's the big thing that they're missing. Yeah. They're missing the mentor. Yes. Right. Big. Right. So with all the success you've had, what's something you wish you knew when you started that you know now? Good question. I think I ended up in, in family law sort of by a set of, of circumstances. Um, and I'm not sure that at that point in time, I felt like the world was looking around for sort of a young Hispanic 30-year-old mediator in the business world. It didn't feel like that was, that was like what the world was looking for at that point in time. And, and now I realize that that's sort of kind of baked in, that it's not just you, it's sort of part of the way things were set up. So there, there weren't a lot of people to look to at that point in time. So, you know, one of the things that I'm working on myself to sort of prevent that from happening, I guess, in the future, is I, I'm on the board of the, the ADR section of the Florida Bar. And we're working with the various voluntary bar organizations to sort of raise awareness of dispute resolution and try to get just a more diverse population of mediators out there just the whole spread, you know, not, not, not sort of the standard race, ethnicity kind of stuff, uh, gender, but, but just, just to, for people to be more purposeful about who it is that is out there mediating because it's the private justice system, right? Um, and just to do mentoring down the road, you know, what, what you're describing is important to me. That's one of the reasons that I teach uh, and just that encouragement that it's possible that you can push through the barriers. It is also, I think, I don't think I understood to what an extent it is an absolutely self-employment based kind of a line of work. Even at a larger firm like the one that I am, um, you are still responsible for bringing in all of your own work. 
And that can be very daunting, I think, to a younger person starting on this path. It's there's kind of like, you know, you know, you're standing on one side of the chasm and you're looking across at the other side and you're like, I want to be over there. But where's the bridge? Uh, you know, there's a lot of times it's the experience that builds it. It just takes that time to build that practice, build up the connections and and contacts to be able to get it going and have it sustain. It makes total sense to me. What's a mistake you see many people make in your you know, aspect of law? The clients I'm talking about. The clients, the people who are in the conflict? Yes. That is a very good question as well. I think people lose track of the fact that when you're negotiating with someone, negotiation is fundamentally about exchange. Like I think people get mixed up about the idea of getting what I want and then they forget that there's some there's another person who's your audience, right? Like if you're in mediation or if you're in a negotiation, you're what you getting what you want in some ways depends on the other person getting what they want. Because if the two of you don't reach an agreement, you're gonna end up in front of a judge or a jury that's gonna determine your fate. And then neither of you might get what You might both be unhappy. Sure, there's a chance that one person will run out like Rocky with their hands up in the air going, I won, I won, right? And that happens sometimes, right, in court. But the possibilities that that might not happen are very high (laughs) in terms of the the various cases. So just that whole idea of reciprocity and negotiation and figuring out what you can trade for what you want in the classes that I teach, there's a TED video that I will show sometimes. I don't know if you've seen this one because TED Talks are just, there's so many of them out there, right? But I'm fond of this one because it kind of illustrates the principle. It's this guy who eventually, through a series of trades, he starts off with a red paper clip and he ends up with a house. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, he, he figures out and sort of grows during each exchange, you know, you know, figures out what what's fun about this. How can I have a good time with this? And how can I get something bigger and better, you know, and something that has less value to me, but more value to the other person. And, and this person, that person decides that they want it and, and we keep exchanging and the whole thing sort of grows and grows and grows. He did have a goal, right? He did have a goal in mind as a point for what he was doing and it helped the strategy works, right? The sort of strategy of reciprocity and and something that I want for something that you want paid off. So I think that that can be a very effective strategy. And I, the other thing I would say to that particular point would just be the fact that preparation is really important. A lot of times people mistake just ill, like lack of preparedness on the other side for evil intent, you know? Um, okay. They're not giving you the answer because not because they don't want to say yes to it, but because they're maybe afraid to make the decision because they're missing some information or they weren't prepared to make the decision. They need more time to process it and think about it and decide. Um, so that that lack of information is really a factor sometimes as well. Okay. What is your, would you say is your unique approach to your clients that separates you from other lawyers doing exactly what you're doing? Sure. There are a lot of people who do what I do. There's probably about 6,000 of us. Um, not everybody is every, you know, the cup of tea, the right cup of tea for <laughs> for the right, every dispute. I am very patient, I think. And I am <laughs> somewhere in the middle of, you know, of 
this is not to sound hokey about it, but you know, there's sort of a caring side of it. I think that people feel like they've been sort of listened to and heard. Um, any good mediator should make you feel that way. I think I'm not afraid to sort of help people through difficult decisions if they're trying to take them in the moment. I'm not going to tell people what to do. I, uh, you know, the ethical rules are that a mediator isn't out there to give you advice or to tell you what to do. We're not the judge. And so as difficult as it might be to make those decisions, I think there's processes set up for people to be able to take ownership of their decisions. So I really believe in that. Um, and so I try to conduct myself in a way that supports that right of self-determination that people have when they're going through a, through a dispute in particular. I would think your clients definitely appreciate that. Absolutely. Sure. Um, so like, you, I'm sorry, I'm what were you saying? Now I just say, who likes being told what to do, right? Right. <laughs> so given all the success you've had in your career, what is your biggest challenge today? My biggest challenge today, in, in terms of, of professionally? Yes. Biggest challenge today. Well, there's always... Marketing is always a constant thing, right? <laughs> Thank you for the opportunity to be able to kind of get the word out here. I, I, I am not finding that many challenges, honestly, at this moment in time. Things are going well. Yes, very good. Yes, it's it's a uh, it's a good place. It's a good place. That's wonderful. Yes. Well, is there anything that you'd like to share with the uh, audience we discussed today? I tell me a little bit about the ones that you the the clients that you're working with as far as a financial advisor and and the kind of work that you're doing with them. Um, so, oh, thank you. So I manage money for individual, primarily individuals, pretty much in all walks of life. You know, people that are just getting started and are trying to save, you know, for a house. Um, that's a smaller part. It's, it's more people that are saving for retirement and then those that are in retirement. One of our specialties or my specialty has always been income generation. So that tends to gravitate towards an older audience. Makes but, sense. But after years of experience, um, I think I'm also pretty good at for younger clients because the one thing I've learned in my time in the, in the business is to understand the volatility of the stock market and not let it bother you. Because if you're young enough, time is your friend. It's not yes. your And yes. I, my favorite line that I try to tell my young clients is that when the markets are down and you don't want to invest, it's like going into Bloomingdale's and they're running a friends and family sale for 25 off. And you say, no, nah, just call me when they're back at full price. <laughs> <laughs> because, I mean, it's, it's a very true statement, right? It's Yes. And I also try to tell my younger clients that what you want is the most vicious bear market the world has ever seen because then you're buying more stock for less dollars. You only care what it is when you retire. And everyone understands what I'm saying, but, it, but in practice, it's very hard for people to, to wrap their arms around that. It is. It is a blessing to have money in a moment that other people don't and for them to be able to have the kind of advice that you're giving them is 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 definitely good timing um in order to be able to in order to be able to make it work i i've seen particularly through my family work i've seen a lot of people who are in those different phases of their lives sort of facing the proverbial chainsaw you know and, you know I, I have a, a 10 year old son and, and perhaps it's because his mom works in this universe but even he knows that when you're getting divorced everybody gets half right um right. you know <laughs> half of whatever it is right and and so have, seeing that play out at the different phases of people's lives 
is very interesting to watch. It changes the dynamics, right? I can understand how hard it is to see something that was meant to be for one household be divided over two and feel like it's not enough, right? Yeah, um, I mean, very yeah. challenging for people, for sure. That's very, very hard for people to um, understand and decide what to do with. And if you are younger, there is more time to recover from it. But if you are older and there's a trend, you know, in terms what they call the silver divorces, right, of people who are older who are struggling to figure out how to do that and still sustain, it can require a lot of creativity, which is hard when people's sort of nerves are frayed due to the factors of existence at the time. Right. Absolutely. Divorce can be, you know, it, let's face it, there's no such thing as a good divorce, right? I don't disagree. I would say okay. that there can because sometimes people are just better off apart than they were together. Um, oh, no, I, no, I, I, no, I, I didn't mean that. I said, I just, I don't, I think there's very few divorces that everyone comes out a winner. That's all. Yes. If, well, if, if there's ever a way to figure it out, then figure it out in mediation and not, you know, after hundreds of thousand dollars in, in litigation, right? You know, that. There's a lot of, I have to put a pitch in. I don't know if you've seen people working in the collaborative family law area. Um, I don't do as much collaborative work. I am part of a group up here in West Palm in terms of the, the collaborative work. But collaborative family law is, I would say it's more expensive than sort of your bargain basement kind of divorce. But I'd say that in the long run, it can be less expensive for your more high asset kind of situations um, and even medium asset situations because it kind of resolves that information gap issue that I was talking about earlier, right? If everybody agrees to be transparent upfront and everybody gets good legal advice that is aimed at getting the case resolved and not necessarily running up the tab, um, then they will be farther ahead and, you know, they'll be well-informed. They'll have the data they need to make their choices. So collaborative divorce I think is really a great option and worth discussing more often and earlier I think sometimes than it comes up yes I agree with you wholeheartedly it's a it's a it's an excellent it's an excellent way to, as you say because the running up the legal bills is not the answer yes it's only the professionals who win over that I have had scenarios where you know people are paying my hourly rate and the hourly rate of two other attorneys who were you know, you're sitting there of upwards of a thousand dollars an hour arguing over like a television set. <laughs> like it does it's less less about the TV set. You could probably go out and buy three for what you spent on the argument at the end of it, right? But sometimes it's not about that. It's about being right. I had one of my students um who is also a mediator, uh, his name is J.B. Bensmiham, and J.B. in class said something I remember always, which is, would you rather be smart or would you rather be right? <laughs> and I, I, have, I have had that conversation with people many times since. Um, I didn't quite use the same words before, but, you know, helping people make those decisions and get them unstuck um, and pointed in a different direction is, is my favorite part of the job, I think. That's wonderful. Well, Anna Maria, it's been, Anna Christina, excuse me. It has been <laughs> wonderful having you on the show. I learned a lot. What would be the best ways for our listeners to contact you for a consultation? Absolutely. Um, the best way to do it is to reach out to, um, you, well, I guess you could look me up on our website is probably the best way to do it. 
Um, and it's www-adr.com. That's the firm website. Um, and, and you can look for me. My calendar is online. Um, I have a case manager. Her name is Carla Romero. She's wonderful. Um, she's the queen of that calendar. <laughs> and okay. so they can just check out for available dates and just, just reach out and let's see if we can help you. It would be a pleasure. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. And hopefully we'll have you back on soon. Thank you so much, Julian. Thank you for tuning in to Taking Control of Your Financial Life. For more information about today's topics, please visit or check the show notes for more important information and links. Share, rate, and review this show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.